Will you stand with me, please? Psalms chapter 68. Verse number one. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Ambushed. I'm going to teach you on something today simply entitled ambushed. If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. I guess I'm the only one standing, so uh, (laughs) your sins will find you out. 1 Samuel chapter 4 tells the very sad story of Israel suffering a defeat at the hand of what seems to be their perpetual enemy, the Philistines. They're first mentioned in... uh, Acts or in Genesis chapter 10. And um, if you're familiar with the Bible, Genesis chapter 10 tells the story about a guy by the name of Nimrod. This is what it says in 10 and 8 of Genesis. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Watch this. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. This is what it says about Esau in Genesis 25 and 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter. A man of the field. Now you compare that with what it says about Nimrod. It's October the 1st. I guess I'll always be a hillbilly kid. Water and woods played a huge part in my younger years. Um, I don't get to do it nearly as much as I would like. This is the beginning of deer season in Michigan. Esau would be in a tree stand right now. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Nimrod's a different animal. It says Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. In, in the original language, this is what it says. It said, Nimrod was a hunter of the souls of men. So you're not talking white tails and bunny rabbits now. We're in a totally different league. Nimrod is responsible for Babel. Babel, of course, is where 
God told them, I'm never going to destroy the world again with a flood. But they didn't believe it. So it's the first skyscraper in the Bible. Probably the first one in the history of the world. They were going to build a tower to the clouds. And they would have done it. The Bible said their minds were one. God divided their languages and their tongues. And um, when you study Babel, the ruins of Babel gave the building material for Babylon. But if you do your homework with Babel and Nimrod, this is the origin of something known as the Zodiac and the Zodiac signs. This is where the plot thickens. Because Nimrod had a wife by the name of Semiramis. Semiramis claimed to be impregnated with a sunbeam, which was a spurious virgin birth. She gave birth to a miracle boy whose name was Tammuz. Tammuz died supposedly by being gored by a wild boar. Semiramis fasted for 40 days, and the boy was resurrected. So you have a spurious virgin birth, and you have a spurious resurrection. The 40 days that Semiramis fasted is the origin of something known in religion today as Lent. It's the beginning of what is known as the mystery religion of Babel. And Babylon, the mother-son cult. If you study Jeremiah chapter 44, Jeremiah is, wow, he, he curses someone known as the queen of heaven. He's referring to this woman, if you do your homework and your history, Semiramis. But the theory of this mother-child cult. You can knock Satan all you want, but he's really good at what he does. The Bible said he's the father of lies. It said he's the son of perdition. It said he is the evil spirit. So why aren't there three in the devil head? Got Father, Son, and Spirit there. Knock Satan all you want, but he's really good at what he does. There's never been a split in hell. How would you like to be a devil right now? How would you like to be a demon, a fallen angel? You know you backed the wrong horse. In fact, one of them said to Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? Yes. When I was a kid, there used to be an advertisement that said, have you ever had an Excedrin headache? Not just a headache, an Excedrin headache. That's what I want to do with Satan. I want to give him an Excedrin headache. Have you come to torment us? Because they know they're going to be, there's a time, the Bible said, when they'll be bound and cast in. They know that. This is why I think 
demons are so unified. I think that's why they fight unity in the church so much, because I think they understand unity more than we could ever understand. Bible said in the book of Psalms how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like oil, holy anointing oil that was on the beard of Aaron and then went to the, the, the skirts and then all the way down. As the dew is on Mount Hermon, so you can plan on anointing being on the priest if the people are unified. So sometimes it's not about me. Sometimes it's about you. Preacher needs to preach to a unified house. Because if I really believe the secret to building a church is yes, yay, and amen. I think there always needs to be a yes coming out of this pulpit. And there needs to be an amen coming back from the pew. I've preached in churches where the preacher was ready to go and had vision, but the church wasn't. I've been in churches where the church wanted to go and the preacher was afraid. But it says you got to have a yes and you got to have an amen. When you get those two things together, it gets pretty powerful. And this cult of the mother-son, it spread throughout time and all over the world. If you're a student of history, in Assyria, her name was Ishtar. And the boy's name was Bacchus. In Egypt, her name is Isis, and the boy's name is Osiris. If you go to India, the woman's name is Issy, and the boy's name is Iswara. If you go to Asia, her name is Sibyl, the boy's name is Diosius. If you go to Greece, her name was Aphrodite, her boy's name was Eros. If you go to Rome, her name was Venus. The boy's name was Cupid. And that mother-child cult is still very much alive. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. Before you go to the son, you got to go to mama first. Because there was a fight and a, they called it a diet. A debate between two men, Arius and Athanasius. Arius said Jesus was just a man. He was all man. Athanasius said Jesus was all God. They were both right. Athanasius won the debate. They burned Arius at the stake. Quite an incentive to win the argument. And then if... Athanasius is right. It gives birth to what's known as the Athanasian Creed. Because if Jesus is all God and Mary gave birth to him, then Mary's the mother of God. So you got to go to mama before you ever go to the son. Just to give you some Bible, they told Jesus one time, your mother's here. And he said, who is my mother? But those that hear the word of the Lord and do it. See, he was putting that concept in proper place. His deal was her job was to get the holy to you. 
Now that I'm here, you listen to me, not her. And if you know the book of Acts, Mary is specifically mentioned as one of those 120 that were first filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. See, it was a great day when Mary gave birth to Jesus, but it was a greater day when he gave birth to her. They call it an epitaph, the last words that someone, I, I get, years ago I got fascinated with tombstones, had pictures of them, I, I've lost them in my travels, but I had pictures of tombstones all over the world. <laughs> Used to be they'd put a scripture on tombstones. I found a tombstone one time where it was, I think it was in the Revolutionary War, the armor bearer shot his captain by mistake. The scripture was, well done, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> i tell you what the epitaph is of Mary in the Bible. The last recorded words that we have that Mary ever said, whatever he says, you need to do it. And so I was in South America. I was in uh, Medellin. Colombia. I was walking down the street of Medellin and in the, on the, on the, whatever, the marquee of the largest Catholic church in Medellin, there was this in Spanish and English that said, help, can, does anybody know where we can get a Pentecostal piano player? <laughs> this is a direct quote from CNN the last time that the Pope went to South America. It said the pontiff is going to South America to shore up the troops because of the mass exodus into the Pentecostal churches. <laughs> so while I was preaching there, most of the, probably 80% of the crowd was women. And I asked the missionaries, where are the men? And they said, you have to understand, Pastor Hoffman, you're preaching in a country that's been taught to worship Mary not Jesus. So down here, it's the women that go to church, not the men. Philistines came from this primordial soup that was Nimrod. So it shouldn't surprise us that the perpetual enemy in the Old Testament of Israel was Philistines. Did you ever stop to wonder, what is it about Israel? What is it about this little sliver of land, smaller than New Jersey, that plays such a massive role in the Bible and in world politics? Because Israel and Jerusalem are the spiritual navel of the world. And if you're a student of prophecy, you won't read about Washington, D.C. You won't read about London or Beijing. Jerusalem will ultimately be the capital of the world. So now you gain just a little insight into what a horrible day it was when they lost the ark to the Philistines. The preacher's boys, Hophni and Phinehas, they sneak into the Holy of Holies and they burglarize the oracle, and they take the Ark of the Covenant down to what was called the Valley of Ebenezer. 
Bible said they shouted so loud that the ground shook. But the next day, they lost. And they lost huge. As a matter of fact, those boys died. It says that a messenger came to their daddy, who was a fat, blind preacher by the name of Eli. He's 98 years old. Bible said there was no open vision. He doesn't ask about his kids. The first thing he asks is, where's the ark? And the man said, the Philistines have it, sir. Bible said when he heard that, he fell backwards and broke his neck and died. And the son of one of his boys went into premature labor. And it says in 1 Samuel 4 and 21, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law and her husband were dead. This magic box is now in the hands of the enemy. Philistines have five major cities and they take it to their best city by the place by the name of Ashdod. And they put it in a temple in front of their idol by the name of Dagon. It's a spoil of war. When they come in the next day, Dagon has fallen off of his pedestal and he's basically kneeling in front of the ark. They set it back up, and the next day they came in. It says, next morning, when the citizens, this is from the message, when the citizens of Ashdod got up, they were shocked to find Dagon toppled from his place, flat on his face before the chest of God. They picked him up and put him back where he belonged, and the first thing the next morning, they found him again toppled and flat on his face before the chest of God. His head and arms were broken off, strewn across the entrance. Only his torso was in one piece. And that's why to this day it said they never step on the threshold of their church. This is where a horrible word pops up. I found it, I found it first in, in Deuteronomy. This is, this is the message. Now I'll read it from King James. 28 and 27, the Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt. Man, that sounds bad, botch. And with emeralds and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou cannot be healed. Here's the message. God will hit you hard with the boils of Egypt, hemorrhoids, scabs, and an incurable itch. You talk about the ten plagues. Emeralds is obviously one of the consequences of Pharaoh refusing to let the people go. Colon cancer. So thousands of people died in Ashdod. And they said, you know what? We're going to share the ark with someone else. And they give it to another city and another Gad. Gath, Ekron. Finally, after 
over 50,000 men died from colon cancer, which is a humiliating way to die. Maybe God's trying to talk to us. So they put the ark on a cart and they got two cows that had just given birth to young calves. And they said, if the cows go back to the barn where their calves are screaming for their mom, we're going to know there's nothing to it. However, if these cows override their maternal instinct and take that thing back to Israel, we know we're doing the right thing. Which So exactly what happened. This is what it says in 6 and 19 of Samuel. And he smote the men of Bashemish because they looked into the ark. 50,070 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. So all of a sudden you look and here comes these two cows without a driver pulling this wagon with the Ark of the Covenant on top of it. Curiosity? I don't know. I was at a yard sale a couple months ago. And they had four Tupperware lids. Anybody, you remember Tupperware? When I was a kid, that stuff came out, man. It was everywhere. Blue, yellow, red, green. There wasn't any bowls. There's just four warped Tupperware lids. And I'm going, who in the world's going to pay five bucks for four warped lids with no no Tupperware. That's my mental model, you know. You've got this box and you've got a rod in there that would belong to Aaron. Almond wood, almond, however you pronounce it. Almond wood's the driest wood in the world. Most wood has three component parts. It has bark, has a very dense core known as pith, and around the pith is something called cambium. Almond wood has no cambium. It's just got a dense core wrapped with bark. So when it dries out, it's drier than any other wood. This was very specific in the Bible. Aaron's rod was almond wood. It budded, blossomed, and bore almonds overnight. That's when God set him aside and said, this is where the priesthood's going to come from. You got that rod in there? You got a Tupperware bowl of manna? And you got the second set of tablets. See, Moses is the only guy I know that broke all Ten Commandments at once. <laughs> when he came off the mountain, then people were dancing butt naked around that golden calf. I shouldn't say that. We're on live stream. They were naked, not butt naked. Okay. <laughs> It's a wonderful tool, but man, I got to be careful because you can say 50,000 great words and you do one bad one and you're done. When he sees these people dancing around that calf, he throws them tablets, crushes them. So it's obvious God gave them a second set. The Ark of the Covenant is a wooden box covered with gold. On top of it, it's got a lid that's known as the mercy seat. Welded into the mercy seat are these two angels or these cherubims. 
Once a year, a priest would take blood on the Day of Atonement. You got to understand, in the Holy of Holies, there's no skylights, there's no windows. He crawls underneath this very thick curtain in a completely dark place. And it said seven times he dips his finger in that bowl of blood and starts splashing. It's completely dark. You can't see anything. When the blood would hit the mercy seat, it's not in the Bible. It's a word that rabbis coined years ago, Shekinah. That when the blood of the atonement hit the mercy seat, it would shine. It would light up that room. Fascinating because when you study Calvary, he's got a hole in both wrists. So that's two places he's bleeding from. You've got a hole in both ankles. So now that's four places that he's bleeding from. You've got a back that's lacerated, 39 stripes. That's the fifth source of blood. They push a crown of thorns into his head. Now that's the sixth place that he's bleeding from. And then a priest, or a soldier rather, takes a spear and sticks it in his heart. Blood and water. So just as there were seven splashes of blood in the Old Testament, there's seven sources of blood at the cross. And just as that glory was manifested then, it was manifested again at Calvary. And it interests me because once the men of Bethshemus, they took the lid off the box, the mercy seat. What's on that mercy seat? Blood from years of atonement sacrifices. So when you take the blood or the lid off of the box, you're exposed to the law of God without the buffer of the blood. That's a bad place to be. See, there's two, there's two seats in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. There's only one. You realize in the, in the, in the tabernacle of Moses, there's no chairs. There's only one seat. It's called the mercy seat. Later on in the Bible, there's something known as the judgment seat. I'm, I met a Jewish rabbi years ago, and he asked me a, a really simple question. Harold, who made man? God made man, Avram, I told him. Wrong. What's it say? Quote two and seven for me, Harold. I said, and the Lord God formed. He said, stop. Did you get it? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, quote it again, slower this time. I said, and the Lord God formed. He said, stop. Did you get it? No, sir, I didn't. He said, you call yourself a pastor and you didn't get it? He said, let's go slower, Harold. He said, what is Lord? I said, Adonai. What does that mean? Mercy. 
What is God? <laughs> I knew better than to say Yahweh. If I'd have said that, he would have slapped my mouth. I said, Elohim. He said, great. What's that mean? I said, righteous judgment and justice. He said, excellent. Did you get it? No, sir, I didn't. <laughs> he said, Harold, God made the trees. God made the stars. God made the fish. But when God got ready to make man, he introduced something that we had never seen yet in the Torah. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. You see, Harold, God knew that man would need more than a judge. He would need a display of his mercy first. So you got to ask yourself a question. Where are you going to sit? Because the Bible said in the book of Ephesians, we sit with him in heavenly places. And the only place to sit in the tabernacle was the mercy seat. <laughs> so you got to ask yourself a question. Are you going to sit in the judgment seat all alone? Or are you going to sit in the mercy seat with him? Because right now he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have access to his mercy. But the day is coming. The Bible said when God will be all in all, there won't be no Lord. There won't be any mercy. It'll just be God. It'll just be Elohim. Trust me. Some people's sins go before them and some sins follow them. You want your sins to go ahead of you. You want to get that dealt with before you ever meet him. And this is very powerful, ladies and gentlemen, because these men burglarized the ark. They were exposed to the word of God, the law of God, without the buffer of the blood. 50,070 men died. <clears throat> Which is basically about the same number of men that died from hemorrhoids. Samuel 7 and 2 came to pass while the ark abode in Kirchus Jerem that the time was long for it was 20 years. I used to believe that Saul was in, on the throne for 40 years, David 40, Solomon 40. It's not accurate. David was 40 and Solomon 40, but Saul's dynasty lasted 20 years. Once the ark was stolen by the sons of Eli. It never went back to the tabernacle of Moses. Which means they had church for 20 years without the glory. 20 years without the Ark of the Covenant. 20 years a priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement faking it because he knew there was no mercy seat back there to splash the blood on. It's in this guy's house by the name of Abinadab. Not one time when Saul was, not one time did that guy ever ask, where's the magic box? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Not one time did he ask that. The first thing David does when he becomes king, where's the Ark? 
And they said, um, it's at Abinadab's. It's in Abinadab's garage. It's had a tarp over it for 20 years. David, being a typical man, going to do it just like everybody else did it. Going to put it on a, on a cart. You know how you make carts? You need big boards and big wheels. <laughs> and that's how a lot of people think you're going to get the glory of God in a church. You need a great church board. And you need a lot of ecclesiastical big wheels. That ain't going to work. Benadab's boy, user reached up and touched that ark when it's jostled. He's dead in the road. Dead. So here's this kid. You got to realize he's young. That thing's been in his garage. Big deal. What's a big deal? He's laying in the road purple, got goo coming out of the side of his mouth. And they said, you want to take the box? Mm-mm. How about you? Will you take it? Mm-mm-mm-mm. All of a sudden, there's this guy named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is a Gittite. <laughs> you know what a Gittite is? A Philistine. <laughs> it's in his house for three months. He never has to water his grass. It's green. His cows have triplets. His corn's got three ears on every stalk, not just one. The Bible said his whole house was blessed for three months. There's a fascinating addendum to this because there is a psalm that is dedicated to the gittith. Now, some people think gittith was a musical instrument. Other people believe it was the gittite. Because there's a verse in that psalm that says this. I'd rather have one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand. It doesn't say a thousand what? A thousand is supposed to be an adjective. In this case, it's a noun. Fill in the blank. One day in God's house is better than a thousand of anything else. And it's amazing because because he's a Philistine, I, I'm getting a little deep with you here, but if you read the book of Chronicles, when Solomon built the temple, the Bible said the doorkeeper of Solomon's temple was a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And in that psalm, he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. See, because he was Philistine, he could never go into the temple ever. It took at least 10 generations for him to proselytize into the Jewish faith. Is it, a, is it possible that this guy that had the Ark of the Covenant in his garage for three months ended up being a doorkeeper for Solomon's temple and said, look, I can't go in there, but you can. But trust me, you want to go. Because what's in there changed my life. What's in there made all the difference to me. <laughs> it's just, it's just, think of that. 20 years. You can, you can, you can have church without the glory. Draylen sing a couple songs. Take up an offering. 
preacher gives you a little homily, we dismiss and beat all the Baptists to the buffet, okay? We went to church. I've heard people say, let's give him glory. You can return glory, but you can't produce glory. Glory comes from him. And David becomes king. And the first thing he asks is, where's the box? And so they, it's, 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 in a, it's in Abinadab's house. They get it. Abinadab's boy's dead. It ends up in Obed-Edom's house. Typical man, David. Maybe we ought to read you instructions. Goes back in the word, hmm, Kohathites, sticks and the rings. I don't know how far it was. Most people that I've read said it was eight miles. Eight miles from Obed-Edom's house to Zion. But the Bible said every six steps, David stopped and said, let's offer sacrifices. By the time he gets into Jerusalem, he's going crazy, man. He has taken off his royal robes and he's out in front of the ark because the ark's the glory. But listen to me, the praise always precedes the glory. And his wife is there. Saul's daughter. And she's humiliated because her husband is out there dancing and making a fool of himself in front of the ark. And when she gets, when he gets home, she says, how glorious was the king of Israel today? You uncovered yourself. You took your royal robes off. This is what David said. Oh, that's nothing, sweetie pie. I'm going to be more vile than thus. You think I made a show today. You wait till I build my tabernacle on Zion. You wait till that happens. We're really going to have us a hoedown when that happens. And, 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 it's, and it's a fascinating journey through the word of the Lord. They've got no box. And this is what it says in Samuel 8 and 5. Behold, talking to Samuel, you're old. Your sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king so we can be like everybody else. Do you desire the things of God or the things of this world? Because when there's no glory in the church house, people make dumb choices. They have no desire to resemble a God that they've never been in his presence. Not one time did Saul ever ask, where's the ark? Think of it. Church without God. We can baptize a few people. I can give you an interesting little sermon. A couple weeks we'll have cider and donuts. Nobody's going to be changed. Nobody's going to be changed. Glory, what's that? What's that? Oh, think of that guy, Cain, it said, went out from the presence of God. I used to preach a message years ago, learning to live without God. 
You can learn to live without God. You know, there's a place probably in the book of Corinthians. It says neither life nor death. Nor angels, principalities, powers. I always thought of that first word, neither life. I think there are people that aren't going to serve the Lord just because of living. Got to go to the grocery store. I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't know how I, I came to church early today. I don't know how many people I saw riding bikes, walking dogs, cutting their grass, came by the grocery store. McDonald's was full. Just life. Life. It's possible life can get in the way of serving God. And I, I, I just, I, it fascinates me because the first thing David asked was, where's the box? Where's the ark? John Gibbs said something at prayer a week ago that I've just mused and mauled over for a week. He said, everybody wants the power of God, but everybody doesn't want the presence of God. And when he said that, it was like a lightning bolt in my mind. And I felt like the Lord dealt with me and said, everybody wants the power, but you're never going to have the power without his presence. And you're never going to have his presence until you learn to praise. Thanksgiving, praise, worship. The three component parts of what a real life dedicated to. What is Thanksgiving? Just being grateful for what he did. My dad used to do stuff for my girls. And I wouldn't say anything, but I let them know. You're going to go to grandpa and you're going to say thank you. That's just good bringing up. I mean, think of it. It's his air in your lungs. It's his strength in your body. It's his sanity in your mind. Every one of us need to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But beyond thanksgiving, see, there's three openings in that tabernacle. There's a gate and there's a door and there's a veil. The Bible said you enter into his gates with thanksgiving. When you come to church, it ought to be with a thankful heart. Thank God I'm alive. Thank God I'm able to be here. You know, don't look at me and say, preacher, you ought to be grateful my butt's in this bench. Sorry, gluteus maximus on the pew or minimus, whatever the case may be. My mom's cringing right now. It's just good bringings up to say, thank you, God. But you've got to learn to migrate and go further than thank you. You've got to get into praise. And then you go from praise, which is bragging on God, and then you get into worship. Worship has nothing to do with what God's done for you. Listen to how we sing. 
Listen to how we pray. Listen to how we talk. Most of it is gratitude for what he's done for us. But there is something in the Bible known as worship. Worship has nothing to do with what he's done for us. It's about who he is. That is an entirely different subject. Because a lot of people can go from thanksgiving to praise, but can you go from praise to worship? To where it has nothing to do with what he's done for you. This morning in our first service, sitting right there, was a precious lady who was battling cancer. And when she coughed recently, she broke a rib and her hips. Because of all of the chemotherapy, she is brittle as can be. But I promise you, tomorrow night at prayer meeting, she's going to be here with her husband. She was here this morning there, magnifying God. Most people would say, Pastor Robin, you know, I've been chemotherapy and I can't come. And I would say, I understand. But that woman wants no excuse. Because we're way beyond Thanksgiving now and praise. This is about who he is. That's nothing to do with what he's done for me or what I want him to do for me. It's about who he is. Last week, last week I had two very precious friends, my oldest ministry friends, Dan and Joanne Mitchell here. We were there when both of their boys were born. When their second boy, Ryan, was born, he had a very large head. Just a couple weeks old, Joanne is terrified that he's got water on the brain, hydrocephalitis. She takes him to the doctor. The first thing the doctor does is he holds the baby up to the light because at that, you're still diaphanous, you know, and he could see through the skin and bones. And and he put that little boy down on his table and he pushed on his foot and Ryan pushed back. And he said, oh, Mrs. Mitchell. Your boy's going to be a great athlete. This is not supposed to be developed in him until months later. But watch when I push on his foot. Boom, and Ryan would kick back. Mrs. Mitchell, you got something really special here. And she said, what about his head? <laughs> his head was out of proportion to his body. He said, Mrs. Mitchell, trust me. Your boy's healthy. And I'll tell you what's going to happen in the next three weeks. His body is going to catch up with his head, which is exactly what happened. See, the Bible said he's the head of the church. Okay. Oh, what's praise? Praise is when you're bragging on the head. That's why it says you get a big head. See, the more we praise the bigger he's going to get. But the secret is this. If we're healthy, if we're a healthy body, the body is going to be in perfect proportion to the head. So what's the answer? Get a big head. Magnify him. Praise him. Exalt him. Because as he gets bigger, the body will catch up. And the body will, see, if you got a little Jesus, you're going to have a little church. But if you got a big Jesus, and it's a healthy body of Christ, 
The body is going to catch up with the size and dimensions of the head, and it's going to be bigger. <laughs> so we got thanksgiving, we got praise, and we got worship. And it's, it's listen, this is, this is David. This is Psalm 68. He is bringing the ark back to Zion. And this is what his prayer is. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I remember they're, 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 they're between Egypt and Canaan 42 times. You had people known as Kohathites. Their job was to watch the heavens. That cloud was over them. I, I, I don't know if you get it, but his presence has the presence. Christmas presents with a T. The presence T are in the presence S. You get in the presence of God and all the stuff's there. Because they come out of Egypt and there's this cloud over them. This cloud gives them shade by day. It gives them heat by night. But it's more than that. See, my sweetheart's here. I, I, I know my wife. They, they move 42 times in 40 years. You got 2 million people. There's no portageons. It's just sanitary to keep moving. Because somebody's going to get sick sooner or later. If you keep living in that goo. And I, after about 16 moves, my, my sweetheart's going to say, I, I belong to something called the United Pentecostal Church. I've been a, a licensed caring preacher for the United Pentecostal Church since I was 19. I'm 66. You do the math. A year ago, they found me. A year ago, the first time They've got my right address with me after all these years. I can see it, man. Harold, we just got the kids in a good school. The mailman just found out where we live. I got a nice, I'm not moving, baby. The cloud's moving. You know what they say? Let God arise. When that cloud moved, you had three days to box up and stay under the cloud. Listen to me closely. The presence contains the provisions. Because as long as you were under that cloud, it was great. Listen to this verse. It said, they drank of that rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Now, water always seeks the least resistance, but that's not what it says in the Bible. They had water at Merah. They had water at Jordan. But for over 40 years, there's no mention of water. Where'd they get their water? I know it's crazy, but the Bible said they drank of that rock that followed them. <laughs> Think of it. All of a sudden, they're gone. Renee and I are still in that nice place. But the kids are saying, Daddy, it's hotter today than I've ever remember it being. And my wife went down by the river, but there was no manna that morning. And all of a sudden, the place where we always got our drinking water, it's dried up. And that night, it's colder than it's ever been before. You know why? Because as long as you stayed under the cloud, there was heat during the night. There was shade during the day. There was manna every morning and there was water anytime you wanted to drink. 
The provisions are in the presence. And if you don't stay under that cloud, the man is going to dry up. The water's going to dry up. It's going to be hotter than you ever remember in the day and colder than you ever remember in the night. The see, see, backsliding is not just quit coming to church and, 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 and getting a wallet with a chain on it and getting a Harley Davidson. And I'm not against you having a Harley Davidson, but you get my drift. Okay. I'm telling you what backsliding is. Backsliding is when you put a dime in the meter and say, I ain't moving. But listen to the first verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God moved. And God moved. Now think of it, God's omnipresent. Where in the world are you going to go where he isn't already? It ain't talking about him moving. It's talking about us moving. We have to stay in pace with what God is trying to do in the earth right now. And if we're not careful, we're going to put a Pentecostal dime in the meter and say, I like First Church just the way it is. And after a while, all we're going to see is smoke and taillights because God has moved on. And we are exactly where we were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I don't know God, everything about God, but I know this, God moves. God moves. And you have to stay in pace with what God is trying to do because the presence always contains the presence. And if you want the goodies, you got to stay underneath the cloud. All right. It's just, I, I bought a book years ago by a guy named Aldo Leopold. He is considered the father of the environmental movement. If you want a great book to read, buy a book called A Sand County Almanac. Because in the beginning of that book, this is what Aldo Leopold said. There are people who can live their entire life without wild things. But I'm not one of those people. I have to have wild things for my life to be fulfilled. And I understand what old Aldo was talking about. Because there are people who have learned to live without the Holy Ghost. There are people that have learned to live without a move of God. There's people that have learned to live without a revival in the church and a harvest of the lost. But I'm not one of those people. I can't live without a move of the presence. I, I just can't. I just can't. My dad told me something before he died, and he didn't mean to be facetious. He said, Harold, we make a big deal about it when somebody gets baptized or when somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost or when somebody gets healed. He said, Harold, it ought to be a big deal when somebody doesn't get the Holy Ghost, when somebody isn't baptized, when somebody isn't healed. That ought to be as normal as breathing. And so I have this amazing story of, of, of this guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. And he's surrounded, he's surrounded with three combined armies. And this is what it, it, it's, it, 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 uh, in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 21, it says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, set ambushments against Ammon and Moab and this other that were coming. I mean, they're outnumbered. 
Jehoshaphat gets all the soldiers said, take your spears, lay down your swords, take off your armor. This is what we're doing tomorrow morning. We're going to go out there. See, when, there, there, when it talks about his omnipresence, the Bible uses the word eyes. That the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. Now, God's omnipresent, but it's using eyes. One place talks about his seven eyes. Trust me, God don't have seven eyes. But it's called anthropomorphism. It's using something physical to dry and describe something in the spirit. So two eyes is enough, but seven, that's a bunch. You ought to be able to see it. That's what it's trying to do. When it talks about God seeing things, it, it said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. When it talks about his compassion, it uses another body part. It talks about his bowels of compassion. When the touch of God is on someone, they always, it, there's many places, and the hand of the Lord was on them. But when you talk about holiness, there's one word that keeps popping up on the radar again and again and again. Beauty. Not hands, not eyes. Beauty. We're going out the next day, boys, and this is what we're doing. We're going to praise God for the beauty of holiness. And we're going to say his mercy endureth forever. Yes. <laughs> and here are these three combined armies. And all these soldiers they would fought against the next day come out in their blue jeans and their T-shirts. No armor, no guns. No spears, no swords. And they began to praise God. And beauty of holiness. Mercy endureth forever. And guess what? They got ambushed. They literally started running into one another. And as these people are magnifying God, God kills all three of them armies right in front of them. As Jerry Clower used to say, grave, you're dead. You ever been in a place like that? When you're outnumbered and you have no idea what to do. Let's stand still. Remember the Bible said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You don't want goodness and mercy in your rearview mirror forever. Stop. Let it catch up with you. Don't just, we're living way too fast. Slow down. Let the goodness and the mercy of God catch up with us. Stand still. I don't know. My wife and I are heavy today, not because of this church, but things that we're dealing with so many different places right now. And it, 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 it just gets so overwhelming. But when I come here and I begin to leave, leave my baggage out there in the lobby, I'm not bringing that into here. The Bible said, lay aside every weight and sin. Ladies and gentlemen, some things aren't sin. They're just weighing us down. Worry, 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 worry. Come into this house today. And praise him for the beauty of holiness. <laughs> Magnify God for who he is. Not just for what he's done, but who he is. And this is the promise that he, 
the enemy will kill themselves. <laughs> Think of that. Where'd that come from? Think of Satan. Think of Satan. See, Satan can't read your mind. He can watch what you do. He can hear what you say. He can't read your mind. Okay? So watch. Here's Jesus laying on the cross. The cross is on the ground. They spread him out. They're nailing his ankles. They're nailing his wrists. Whatever you do, don't lift him up. But you, you got a chance, Satan, as long as he's laying prone. You, this is what Jesus said. If I, even I, be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men unto you. Remember what the Bible said? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. Did you ever see the symbol, the symbol to this day for the medical community? You know what it is? It's a snake wrapped around a stick. Because all the way back in the Old Testament, there was penalty. Snakes were in there. And it said that Moses made a brass serpent, put it on a stick, lifted it up. And if they just look at it, God would heal every one of them that got bit with the snake. You won't understand what he meant in John when he said, if I, even I, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if I, even I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Amen. Think of it. Remember? I'll give you power over all the power of the enemy. It's the same word in English, power, power. But in the, in, in the Greek language, it's totally different. One is dunamis. The other is exousia. When it says, I'll give you power over the power, what it's saying is Satan has ability, but I will give you authority over his ability. And it said serpents and scorpions won't. See, a, a, a scorpion bites you with his tail. A snake bites you with his head. Jesus is saying, heads or tails, you win. That's what he's saying here. Why? Because we have the understanding. Jesus wasn't sin, but he was made sin for us. And when they lifted him up, all you got to do is look at him. And if you begin to, oh, Jesus, if we get this under, as long as Jesus is laying on the ground, Satan's got a chance. But when you lift him up, you, you, cause three days later, where did he come from? Where did he come from? I, I saw him die. I, 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 Satan had no understanding of the resurrection, none whatsoever. When, where did that come from? It's the same thing that I'm talking about here. All of a sudden, they're magnifying God, and God sits in ambush. And all of a sudden, these the enemy. Where'd you come from? Where'd that come from? That's why the Bible talks about confusion in the enemy's camp. We have the ability and the power in prayer and praise and worship to create a confusion in our enemy. I'm telling you, you can do it. I'm telling you, we can do it. There's, we got a lady on the front row in the first service. She's got a broken hip. She's got broken ribs. And she, she's just standing, worshiping God. A lot of people would have stayed home. And I would have said, I understand, but not Ann Curtis. And she's over there magnifying God. And they're saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. But I think if we'll magnify God, all of a sudden we'll say, where'd that come from? Where'd that healing come from? Where did that deliverance come from? How can you do that? I, I, I believe in this stuff very, very strongly because I'm not just giving you theory. I've seen this happen again and again and again. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the ability to lift him. The Bible said his name is above every name. But then there's another one that says his name is far above 
that's not above. That's far above. I'm telling you, Jesus is above all by himself. But you and I have the ability to get beneath the name of Jesus and lift him higher, higher above cancer, higher above divorce, higher above confusion, higher above anxiety and despair and fear. Oh, Jesus. Think of Job. Job said, I looked on the right, he wasn't there. I looked on the left, he wasn't there. I looked in front of me, I couldn't find him. I looked behind me, he went. There's one place Job didn't look. And that's our problem. We're looking at everything around us. Get your eyes off what's around you and get your eyes on what's above you. Jesus thing, stand, stand. I expect to see the enemy ambushed, ambushed. Where'd that come from? <laughs> yes, yes. You got a need in your life? I do. You got friends in trouble in your life? I do. I got a litany in my mind right now of things and some of it I can tell you about and some of it I can't. I can't heal anybody. I can't, I, I, I can't. I tell you what I can do. I can go to the one that can heal. I've said this to you and this is a theme and I'm on to something here because Isaiah called him the Prince of Peace. But when you deal with Melchizedek in Hebrews 8 and 7, he's called King of Peace. See, a prince can't do anything, but a king, now that's a whole different thing. The Bible said that and of the increase of his government, and peace there'll be no end all right ladies and gentlemen next next month is november it's the beginning of the voting season i'm telling you for the next 12 months we're going to see more garbage and more i don't know if there's ever going to be another president that doesn't get impeached they have weaponized the judicial system we are in one confused country right now we're apostolics. We've made a distinction between men and women. It's gender identity. Could we have ever known it would get this stupid and this crazy? But here we are, parked right in the middle of it. And as facetious as this is sounding, I'm telling you the apostolic church is the last gasp for America. Because when I look at California, California's in trouble. And when I look at the right side of this country, the Eastern seaborne is dead as Job's turkey. I think the hope of America lies within in the Midwest. Is it by chance that this is Michigan? Not this, this. I want the hand of God to be on this country. I want the hand of God to be on this country. We do not serve a God of a clenched fist, nor should we be the people of the clenched fist. Let us be the worshipers and the praisers. And I know that sounds facetious, but dear God, somebody is going to have to touch God. And I'll tell you what the problem is. He's still prince to too many people. Is he your king? Is he on the throne? Is he in charge of your life? Because if I'm preaching to somebody right now and you're full of anxiety and fear, I give you the remedy. You're never going to know an increase of peace until you first know an increase of his government. 
when you give him more control of your life, his prom if you think this country, every one of these crazy politicians, we're gonna have peace, we're gonna peace. That <laughs> what a joke. It's never gonna happen. So that I'm not expecting to do something they're incapable of doing. But I tell you what I am gonna do. I'm gonna give Jesus not just the key to the door. I'm not gonna let Jesus just in the living room in the kitchen. Jesus, you can go in the basement. You can go in the attic. You can even go in the backyard. You can do it. I, I, see, too many people, we, we, are, we are segmenting Jesus in our lives. You can have this and you can have that, but you can't have that. I want you to open up your life and I want you to say, I want you to be king. I want you, see, 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 we're Americans. We're, this is a democracy. The Bible is not a democracy. It's a kingdom. He's on the throne. That's a whole different animal, ladies and gentlemen. And where the word of a king is, there's power. Not the word of a prince where the word of a king is there's power if you make Jesus king in your life put him on the throne as his government over you increases so will his peace but we got people full of fear anxiety they're going out of their mind the answer put him on the throne put him on the throne Jesus I'm going to give you all of my dreams I'm going to give you all my aspirations. I'm going to give you all my hopes, but I'm going to give you my failures. I'm going to give you my fears. I'm going to give you all my, I'm giving the whole thing to you, Lord. Here you go. And if we'll do that, I promise you, I promise you that God will ambush the enemy and the enemy will have no idea what, where in the world did that come from? Hallelujah. Come with me around the altar. Come with, I, I, I know I've been up here for a long time. But I, 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 I don't want you to just hear me. I want you to feel me. If you think I'm a liar, get out of here. If you think I'm not telling you the truth, run for your life and go get drunk. Go down to the ball game. But for goodness sakes, if there's a, I want you to feel me and not just hear me. There's hope in the Lord. There's help in the Lord. I can't fix you, but I know someone that can. And I did not come here today just to sit and go through religious apostolic motion. I came here to worship. I came here to praise. I came here to thank him because I'm convinced that in that, we get in his presence. <laughs> get in his presence. There's fullness of joy. Not just partial joy. Every kind of joy you need. You need something in your marriage, it's there. You need something in your home, it's there. You need something, well, it's there. Amen. You ready to go? Lift up your hands. Let's magnify the Lord. These people are going to sing. I want you to rejoice. Amen. If it's appropriate, I want you to put your hand on somebody if you feel led. Bible said lay hands on no man suddenly. Don't just indiscriminately walk around and lay your hands on anybody. But if you feel legitimately led by God to pray for somebody, go put your hand on their shoulder. Amen. And if we ever touch God, let's touch God now. All right? Lord Jesus, we magnify you in this house. We exalt you above every enemy, every opponent, anything that would try to exalt themselves either on par with you or above you. Lord, right now, we put you on the throne. We give you our todays. We give you our tomorrows. And we give you our yesterdays. We give you tomorrow with all of its hope. And we give you yesterday with all of our fears. And we give you right now. You are right now, God, a very present help.